There are notes, handouts on the back if you want that. If you're an online PDF person, of course, you don't need it. But if you want, that's going to give you a roadmap of where we're going. We're talking about Ezekiel this morning. We're plowing through these, these prophets. How many of you, honest confession time, honest. Come on, we've got to be honest with ourselves here. How many of you have ever started reading Ezekiel and maybe made it like not even a whole chapter and you're like, you know what, I don't know what's going on and I'm going to read Ephesians or something else. Anyone else? Is that just me? Okay. Now, Ezekiel is tough. Ezekiel is an interesting book. And I think it's easy for us, especially when we come to like some of the other prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the minor prophets especially too. You know, we look at it, it's tough, and so we, we move on. But just because it's tough doesn't mean we can't understand it, okay? And God has given that book to us, and so he intends on us understanding it and reading it. And so it'll be good. Yeah, I think Ezekiel is one of those tough ones for me in, in trying to talk about it in 45 minutes, you know, what to say, what not to say. And so I want to try and um, help you guys get a framework. Again, with this class, the intent is not you understand every single verse in every single book. We just can't do that. That's just not the nature of this class. What we're trying to do is give you big picture so maybe you can take these notes home and go, okay, I'm going to read through Ezekiel this week and actually understand what's going on. That's the context, okay? By the way, this is just a, a little plug. How many of you are like Kindle book readers? You read books on your devices, okay? A couple people, strange people. Um, I, I'm, I'm much more of a, a physical book person. But there is a book called I Saw the Lord by Abner Chow, who is my professor and just the Lord used immensely in my life. To He just really used him to open my eyes to see the Bible. He has a book called I Saw the Lord. And it's 10 bucks on uh, Kindle, on something like that. You go on Amazon, it's only 10 bucks. And I think if you want a physical copy, it's like 30 or 35 or something like that. Um, that book is a dense read, okay? It is not a page turner where you're just like, wow, this is, I'm just cruising. You know, it's not a novel. You know, it's, it's, it's tough. It is, it is work. But I, I can just say this. What he argues in that book is that Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Paul, and John all saw various aspects of the same thing, that their visions were actually united in that, namely what they saw is God crowning his son in glory, and that they were all seeing various aspects of one future event. And you're like, wow, that sounds kind of crazy. And then you read his book, and you're like, I think he's right. Um, and so he just works through this book. It's a really, really good introduction to the books of Isaiah and Ezekiel, and especially Daniel, okay? So those are hard books for me. And so if they're hard books for you, that might be a resource you want to get, okay? So 10 bucks on Kindle. I just had to plug that. It, it, it really, really helped me. That's I Saw the Lord by Abner Chow, Dr. Chow. He's the man. All right, Ezekiel. Ezekiel. What is going on with Ezekiel? So I didn't mention this. Maybe we'll get to it in the Minor Prophets or Ezra and Nehemiah Chronicles when we get there. there there's multiple waves of exile. Okay, so when we say, you know, the southern kingdom was exiled in 586, 587 B.C., somewhere in there, that's true, but that's what you could say is like the final wave of exile, right? But you had before that multiple waves of exile. So for exam example, like Daniel, Daniel is taken before Ezekiel, okay? He's taken probably around 
um, like 605, something like that. And remember, we're counting years backwards the other way because we're BC, so years are going down rather than up, right? So if he's taken 605, Ezekiel's probably taken eight, ten years later into captivity, 597, somewhere around there. And so that's what's going on. So Ezekiel, and we're going to see this, how the book starts, he is in Babylon. It's, this book is written from the perspective of exile, okay? We're, if you're like, what are, where are you talking about? Date, author, setting, purpose, that's where we're at, okay? What's going on here? It's written from the perspective of exile. He's writing a little after Jeremiah, okay? So a little after the book we, we looked at last. And kind of this key question throughout is, has God rejected his people completely? Has he cast us off utterly? Are we utterly forsaken? Will God dwell amongst his people again? And the answer is yes. Yes, he will dwell amongst them again. Has he utterly cast us off? No, he has not. Okay? That's kind of this, this key question going on. If you want to write you know, a main theme, the main theme of Ezekiel, you could say, is this God's presence among his, amongst his people. God's presence amongst his people. Ezekiel deals with and talks about the Holy Spirit in ways that, pretty much speaking, the, the rest of the Old Testament doesn't talk about. So he's dealing with the Holy Spirit particularly. And so you see, much like Isaiah and Jeremiah, yes, there is hope. God will dwell amongst his people again. But right now, there is what? There's coming judgment. Judgment because of your sin. This is coming now, but on the other side of judgment, there is hope. There is restoration. There is return. And you're going to see, I think I have some kind of, if you're like, okay, I need something to, well, this is kind of what we've already been talking about, right? In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Shebar Canal, this is in um, Babylon, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. It's a key phrase that Ezekiel is going to use, kind of like the structure for his book. I saw visions of God, okay? He's in the land of the Chaldeans, Babylonians. The hand of the Lord was upon him there. Th those are two phrases. I saw visions of God. The hand of the Lord was upon me, upon him, something like that where you're reading through Ezekiel, and that's kind of his way of saying, hey, here's a, a new kind of subsection. Does that make sense? That's his kind of introductory formula. Hey, here's another section. And you really see this. This is kind of key. In Ezekiel, I hope you guys can read that. There's kind of three visions, kind of three sections of visions, okay? Chapters 1 to 3, you guys can write this down. Chapters 1 to 3, chapters 8 to 11, and then 40 to 48. 1 to 3, 8 to 11, 40 to 48. And they all, all those sections begin with this phrase, visions of God, that is unique to Ezekiel. It's not in other places in the Old Testament. And so it's another, you know, and you, if you can't read Hebrew, that's fine. I can't either. But you kind of see in the orange over there, like, I'm not making this up. Like, that's in the original text. Oh, visions of God. You see that three times, okay? That's kind of this unique phrasing that Ezekiel is using, and so here's kind of this main structure. How you can think about it like this is the visions are kind of building on top of each other. It's like a three-layered cake. We all love cake, right? You have, you have your, your bottom foundation, right? You've got your, the base. That's your first vision. That's Ezekiel's one, Ezekiel 1 to 3. And then you've got your next layer of cake, 8 to 11, and then the crown jewel of that cake, 40 to 48. Does that make sense with everyone? We're tracking here? Come on, I'm talking about cake. Should be, it's like, okay, Ezekiel's not hard. Cake. Okay, I can get it. Right? Layers of the cake. We're building up. Visions of God. That's a key phrase throughout. Key structural intro. God is going to fill the earth. This is just what, if you're like, 
okay, get me to where we're going. What's he trying to say here? God is going to fill the earth with his glory from the inside out. So if Isaiah was talking about I'm, the, earth, the whole earth is filled with his glory, Ezekiel saying, how is that going to be done from the inside out, from the internal change? What's the problem with Israel? They have a problem with their, their heart. What? It's hard. It's sinful. It's rebellious. They cannot change their heart. And so God is going to change their hearts for them. Okay, don't have your Bibles already open? Turn to Ezekiel 1. We're going to, we are going to plow through this, but hopefully we'll, you'll be tracking with me. Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel's calling. Okay, so this is that, that first layer of the cake, Ezekiel 1, 2, and 3. And this is where maybe you're reading and you're like, you know what? After one verse, I'm done with this. I'm going to the New Testament. Ezekiel 1, verse 4, as I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal, and from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Jump down to verse 8, under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands, and the four had their, face, uh, had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each of them went straight forward without turning as they went. And you're like, what in the world is this guy talking about? Four, 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 flaming fire, lightning. They're always going straight. This is weird. Okay, it gets even stranger. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. Now as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl, and the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. So it's like, I didn't even know what was going on with the wheel, now he's talking about wheels within wheels. You know, it's like Inception, dream within a dream. It's like, I, I didn't know what was going on in that movie, and I don't know what's going on in this book, right? What is he talking about? Well, let's keep going. Verse 22, over the heads of the living creatures, there is the likeness of an expanse shining like awe-inspiring crystals spread out above their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another, and each had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, the sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings, and there came a voice from above the expanse, over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. Keep reading verse 26. Actually, I think I have this on the slides here. Verse 26, and above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of a throne, there was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward, from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around, and downward, from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. Okay, so there's a lot going on there. We're not going to be able to talk about it. But he's talking about, just, just think about this. What does this make you think of? Okay, he's talking about creatures, they're living, there's an expanse. There's a separation. What, what does that immediately just call to mind? Like language from what other book? Yes, Revelation. What's also at the other side, the very first book? Genesis 1, right? 
expanse language, and then this language of creation in living creatures. Then you have God seated above the expanse, okay? All that's going on here, this, this is creation language. This is, if you want to, we can't unpack all this, it, it's temple language, okay? In, in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, you see that a lot of what's going on in creation is actually so that God can dwell amongst his people, okay? And, and we kind of have Eden kind of pictured as this ideal first temple, people will say, where God dwells amongst his people. Well, Ezekiel is picking up much of that same language. He's picking up much of that same language. And you see in that last section there, what? There's a throne, right? And there's one seated on that throne who has an appearance of a human. And this, this throne is like on fire. It's flaming. That's the appearance he's comparing it to. Just remember that. Okay, tuck that away for when we come to Daniel. And if you're like, I don't want to wait that long. Daniel 7 verse 9, tuck that away. Because in Daniel, he's going to pick up the same thing. That there's a throne that is on fire, and there is one seated upon that throne, the Ancient of Days. But then in Daniel 7 13, the Ancient of Days gives his authority to who? Does anyone know? The Son of Man. And so what we see here is these visions kind of coming together, that Daniel is going to make clear what Ezekiel is maybe a little fuzzy for you guys, right? So that's what's going on, this vision of the throne room of God. And Ezekiel is amazed by this. He falls down on his face. He hears one speaking. Chapter 2, verse 1, he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. That's key. What enables him to stand? What, what, who enables him to respond and stand? The spirit. The spirit enters into him, right? The Spirit enters into him and puts him on his feet. This is a preview of coming attractions. This indwelling Holy Spirit is key in the book. Uh, let me see, what can I... Well, well, we'll jump down to chapter 3. Chapter 3 here, verse 4. He talks about, Son of man, you're going to go to the house of Israel. You're going to speak to them. Verse 7 but the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel has a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. They have a heart problem. You're going to go, you're going to preach to them, but they're not going to understand what you're saying because they have a heart problem. Verse 10, son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, you will receive in your heart. So Ezekiel is kind of like a microcosm of what Israel was supposed to be. Israel could not receive their, God's word into their heart. Ezekiel does receive the word. Do you see that there in 3 verse 10? He has the spirit dwelling in them, in him, excuse me. Ezekiel has the Holy Spirit in him, indwelling, and he receives the word of the Lord. He's going to do what Israel cannot. Chapter 3 verse 23. You kind of see this is kind of the, this conclusion of this section so I arose and went out into the valley. So this is kind of the, so you had the beginning of the vision. I saw visions of God. This is kind of his formula for saying this is the end of this vision. He arose, went out into the valley, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory that I had seen by the Shebar Canal, and I fell on my face. The same thing, right? But the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. Come down to verse 26, and I will, um, excuse me, I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth like mine did just now. So that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. Ezekiel's not going to be able to speak. He's going to be mute 
except for the words that Yahweh is going to give him to speak. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth. And you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, he who will hear, let him hear. And he will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. So, so this is kind of that, that first layer of the foundation, okay? It's these visions of God. It's this amazing vision of the throne room of God in his glory and his splendor. And he's saying, you are going to speak the words that I'm going to give you to speak. Okay, point B, Israel's condemnation. Ezekiel 4. So you kind of have those first three chapters. It's this first vision. Chapters 4 to 7 is kind of the messages of judgment, you could say. Ezekiel 4, 5, 6, and 7, messages of judgment. Judgment is coming. You're going to be judged. Chapter 4, verse 5. Look at this. He says, for I assign to you a number of days. This is really interesting. I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with reading Ezekiel. It's like, wow, there's some interesting stuff going on here. There is some interesting stuff. He's told to lay on his left side for 390 days. That's a long time. That's a long time, okay? Laying on your left side. Equal to the number of the years of their punishment, so long shall you bear the punishment of the house of Israel. Verse 6, and when you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side, so you turn over, and bear the punishment of the house of Judah. Forty days I assign you, a day for each year. Okay, 390 plus 40 is 430. Was there any other time, maybe somewhere in the Old Testament, where someone is like in exile in like, I don't know, Egypt or something like that for 430 years? You guys remember that? Israel? Exodus? You're going to, the, the, behold, the days of their captivity were 430 years. God is saying through Yahweh here, guess what's coming for Israel? Another captivity like they had in Egypt. That, that's what he's symbolizing. Another one of those is coming. That, that's what's going on here. 430 days. Similar to the 430 years that Israel experienced. There's going to be another captivity. Chapter 5, verse 1 to 4. Is this 5? Yeah. That's funny. On the back there, everything is highlighted in yellow. But over here, it's in orange. And the reason why you're like, whoa, new highlights. It's because I figured out how to make new highlights. So I was like, whoa, new power, right? Chapter 5, verse 1. And you, O son of man, here's another thing he's going to do. Take a sharp sword. Just picture this, what he's doing here. It's just kind of, it's funny. It's okay. You can, you can laugh at what he's doing. Use it as a barber's razor and pass it over your head and your beard. Give yourself a haircut, okay? Then take balances for Wayne and divide the hair. A third part you shall burn in the fire in the midst of a city when the days of the siege are complete. So part of it you're going to burn in the fire. A third part you're going to take and strike with the sword. Like, think about this. He's like throwing up hair in the air and he's like cutting hair, right? And a third part, you shall scatter to the wind, and I will unsheathe the sword after them. You're like, what in the world is going on here? And I, I found this part funny. Verse 3, and you shall take from these a small number and bind them in the skirts of your robe. So it's like, so of all that, you're just going to take a little bit of hair, and you're going to save it, right? You're going to save a little bit. Verse 4, and of these again, you shall take some and cast them in the midst of the fire and burn them in the fire. And it's just like, no, not even those guys are safe. Like, some of them are going to be judged too, okay? So what's going on here? Ezekiel is symbolizing how Israel is going to be judged. What's going to happen to them? A third of them are going to burn in the fire in the midst of the city. They're going to die in the city when judgment comes, when, when Babylon comes um, back. When David's siege are completed, a third, you're, they're going to be strike down with the sword. A third, they're going to be thrown out to the wind, and they're going to be strike down even there. They're going to be cast out. You guys kind of see what's going on there with the prophet? I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Like, I'd like to see, you know, Mark do a sermon illustration where he just gets out, you know, razor, cuts his hair. It's just like... He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's just like, I, I have no idea what just happened, right? It'd be interesting. It's interesting. 
This is how Ezekiel is talking here. Total judgment of all Jerusalem. And the reason why, verse 5, they're more wicked. uh, Excuse me, chapter 5, verse 6. Their wickedness is more than all the nations. Israel's worse than all the pagan nations. This is why they're going to be judged. Um, They've defiled God's dwelling place. Chapter 5, verse 11. You come over to chapter 6, verse 1. He says, well, verse 2, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. Just remember that. Set your face towards the mountains of Israel, prophesy against them. What's going on there in the mountains is the high places. There's wicked altars set up, false pagan worship, and so he's going to prophesy judgment against them. Just remember that. Mountains, bad. High places, not good. Okay, we're going to come back to that. Chapter 7, more judgment, more bad stuff. That's all you need to know. Okay, chapter 8. New section here. This is um, God's presence leaves the temple. You actually have that, point two. You with me there in your notes? God's presence leaves the temple. And you're going to see here that same introductory formula that we saw in chapter one, right? The hand of the Lord fell upon me there. The Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem. You guys remember that? Here's a new section. Here's the next layer of the cake. Here's what we're talking about. And behold, the glory of the Lord of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the valley. Ezekiel's even trying to get us to think back to chapter 1, like the vision that I saw in the valley. And here's what you see here in chapter 8, that their sin is so wicked, verse 6, that they're driving me far from my sanctuary. And you see here, let's read uh, chapter 8, verse 10, let's start there. So I went in and saw. And he's talking about the vile abomination. God is showing him wickedness going on in the temple in Jerusalem. Here's what's going on, okay? And this is what Ezekiel is saying he's seen. Chapter 8, verse 10. So I went in and saw, and there engraved on the wall all around was every form of creeping things and loathsome beasts, all the idols of Israel. So what's in God's temple? Idols, right? Like super wicked, right? God redeemed his people and they have idols in the temple. Verse 11, before them stood 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel, the leaders. Verse 12, then he said to me, son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each in his own room of pictures? For they say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. He said also to me, you will see still greater abominations that they commit. So God is saying to Ezekiel, you're amazed at that wickedness? Look, it's going to be even worse. Verse 14, Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. You're like, who is that? I don't know who that is. That's a pagan god. That's why we don't know who it is. You're not supposed to know who that guy is. Because he's evil. He's wicked. He's a pagan god. And who are they weeping for? Yahweh or him? Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? You will see still greater abominations than these. It's just complete, utter wickedness. Verse 16, and he brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And behold... At the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs to the temple of their Lord and their faces towards the east, worshiping the sun towards the east. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to to commit the abominations that they commit here, that they should fill the land with violence and provoke me still further to anger? Behold, they put the branch to their nose, therefore I will act in wrath. My eye will not spare nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. And so because of Israel's wickedness, judgment is coming. You guys see that? That's what chapter 8 
is saying there. Chapter 9, if you see in verse 3, now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house. So it's this picture of the glory of the Lord coming up out of the temple, the inner, the Holy of Holies, and moving to the entrance. That's not good. The glory of the Lord is not in the Holy of Holies. He's moving out. He's moving to the entrance. That's what Ezekiel is seeing there. You flip over to um, chapter 11. It says, the Spirit lifted me up. Verse 5, the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me. I think I have a slide here. Yeah, for verse 16, we'll, we'll come to this. He's saying, judgment is coming. Chapter 11, verse 13, the very end. Ezekiel says, Ah, Lord God, will you make a full end of the remnant of Israel? Are you going to completely destroy your people where they will be done with forever? And the Lord says, no. And here's this initial promise, I don't have time to get into it, of the new covenant. Okay, You can write that down, new covenant. Ezekiel 11, verse 16 through 21. Promise of a new covenant. I've been a sanctuary to them for a while. Verse 17, I'm going to gather you and assemble you from out of the countries where you have been scattered. I will give you the land of Israel. They will remove from it all detestable things and all abominations, all the idols that I just talked about. Verse 19, I will give them one heart, a new heart. I will give them a new spirit. According to everything that I have read, this is the very first time in the Old Testament where there's a promise that God's spirit will actually be within his people as a whole. On a corporate level, his spirit is going to be within them, the indwelling Holy Spirit. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. A key phrase all the way going back to you know, the Pentateuch and Leviticus in particular. So there's this promise of the new covenant. Verse 22 though, read this. 11 verse 22, then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them and the glory of the God of Israel was over them and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city. The glory of God just left the temple. The glory is gone. God has completely left his people in the temple, and he's moved to the mountains. The glory has departed, you could say. Then we move, series of condemnations. Point three. We're moving fast because we're running out of time already. Chapters 12 through, and we'll get to that in a minute. Chapters 12 through um, 17, actually through 19. 12 through 19 are, are really this, the prophet, again, we, we've moved from those visions. So kind of what you see is a series of visions, right? One, two, and three, visions, and then prophesying judgment. Eight, nine, 10, 11, visions, prophesying judgment, okay? That's what's going on here. Chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Just a couple things. Verse four, chapter 14, I thought this was interesting. It talks about how wicked they are. So you see this in chapter 14, verse 3, son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts. That's the problem, right? They have a heart issue. They're so wicked. Ezekiel 14, verse 14. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in the city, even if these three Heralds of righteousness, you could say. Even if these three great guys were in the city, if they were in it, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord God. So they would be the only ones. Let's just say hypothetically, they were in Jerusalem. They would be the only ones left alive because of how wicked 
Israel is. You see in chapter 15, that same vine language we've talked about in Isaiah and Jeremiah. Ezekiel's just picking up on the other prophets. Um, chapter 16, I, I don't have time to go through this, but this is the um, passage up on the screen here. 1659 through 63, there's another promise of the new covenant. And what's interesting here is that the context, all of chapter 16 is like rated R language of like spiritual adultery, okay, with Israel. Like it's not like, hey, they're kind of bad and I love you so much, I'm going to give you an everlasting covenant. No, it's like, you're wicked, you're so wicked, I'm going to go into detail of how wicked you are, you're horrible, sinful, worthless, and I'm going to do the new covenant with you. Like, like that is amazing love, right? It's not that they're just, man, they're okay. Like, he goes into the depths of their depravity and says, I will still establish with you an everlasting covenant. You see that throughout, um, all the way through chapter 19. Next section here, judgment of Israel. Chapters 20 to 24, the, this condemnation and judgment theme uh, continues. There's some amazing stuff in chapter 20 especially dealing with a second exodus. I was telling Natalie about this, I think, yesterday. It's amazing to me, all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, the prophets, you see this in the Psalms, too, that one of the key reasons for God saying, you know, why I'm going to judge you is because they forgot the exodus. Like, like you're just going to see, like, random Psalms. Like, it's just like, here's the exodus, what God did. This is amazing, but my people forgot about it. And, and the prophets do the same thing. And I think one of the reasons why is because in the book of Exodus, um, especially chapter 3, chapters 34, it's the book where God says, this is who I am. This is my name. And he reveals who he is in destroying the world superpower of the day, Egypt. And it seems that the prophets and the Psalms in particular are picking up and saying, you guys have forgotten God. And that's why they again and again go back to the Exodus. You see in chapter 21, just write this down for later, 21, 25 um, through 27, Ezekiel 21, verses 25 to 27, there's a prophecy here um, where it seems to be alluding to Genesis 49, 10, and maybe you guys will remember this, um, but Ezekiel is condemning the people, and you, O profane, wicked one, prince of Israel, whose day has come, the time of your final punishment, thus says the Lord God, remove the turban and take off the crown. Things shall not remain as they are. Exalt that which is low and bring low that which is exalted. A ruin, 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 right? So we, we talked about this. Mike talked about this in his sermon. I talked about this in Isaiah. When Hebrew says something three times, they're like trying to make a point. Like, it's, is he holy? No, is he holy, holy? Well, no, he's holy, holy, holy. Like, he's the definition of that. So what type of judgment is going to come to Israel? A ruin, uh, you know, where it's just they kind of got to rebuild a couple things. A ruin, ruin, they got to rebuild everything. A ruin, ruin, ruin. No, like they got to start from scratch because judgment is coming. And I think that's actually key when we think about, you know, the millennial kingdom, the new creation promises, is that when we come to Ezra and Nehemiah and they just start rebuilding a temple, we should already, I think, be clued in from a passage like this and realize it's not just they got to put like a couple bricks back on top of each other and everything's going to be better. No, like complete, utter destruction came. When is the restoration going to come? This also shall not be until he comes. Who's he? Who's he? Well, we've got to keep reading the Old Testament, but it's the Messiah. Until he comes, the one to whom judgment belongs, and I will give it to him. So that's a, that was side. And you're like, we don't have enough time to hit the main stuff, and you spent time on that. Well, it's important. 
the Messiah is coming. All right, chapters 25 through 32. Actually, hold on, 24 verse 2. I, this is key. I forgot about this. 24 verse 2. Um, Ezekiel hears 24 verse 2. Son of man, write down the name of this day, the very day. The king of Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem this very day. So Ezekiel receives word that judgment is coming, that, that, that the city is under siege, okay? And it's kind of a key moment because then what um, happens, this is kind of skipping ahead, but from 25 to 32, Ezekiel talks about the nations. And it kind of seems that that key transition point is that he hears that Jerusalem is being judged, the siege is coming to them, their destruction has come. What about all the other nations? Are they going to boast in glory that, oh, look how the Lord's people, Yahweh's people has been struck down? No, not even the nations are going to get away. And so that's what you see. 24 verse 2 is kind of this transition all the way through 25 to 32. So chapter 33. Chapter 33. So you see the nation's condemnation. Chapter 33. And I want to spend a little bit of time here. This glorious restoration of Israel. This glorious restoration of Israel. You see in chapter 21. Excuse me. Chapter 33 verse 21. The city has been struck down. Jerusalem's toast. The judgment has come. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me. So there's another one of Ezekiel's key phrasing for here's a new section in his book, right? The hand of the Lord has been upon me. Now he's going to move to this glorious hope that Israel does have on the other side of judgment. Judgment has come. Now I'm going to start talking about the hope. And he had opened my mouth by the time the man came to me in the morning, so my mouth was open and I was no longer mute. So he was mute. Now he's going to speak. Now he's going to speak all this glorious hope that the Lord has for his people. Chapter 34, um, he prophesied, these are amazing passages, really dealing with, especially when we talk about, you know, as pastors and elders and, and deacons in particular, um, to learn from a bad example, the wicked shepherds of Israel. Ezekiel spends a lot of time um, talking about these wicked shepherds that they don't care for the sheep, they actually feed themselves. They're, they are wicked, and so you see in verse 11, this is Ezekiel 34, verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. The Lord is actually going to shepherd his sheep. And so we hear echoes of that in Psalm 23, but also in what book in the New Testament? The Gospel of John chapter 10, where Jesus says what? I'm the good shepherd. And he's drawing from these Old Testament themes that he is the one who is going to gather his sheep. And you see in verse um, 22 of Ezekiel 34, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep. Verse 23, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Well, David's been dead a long time. So he's talking about a descendant of David who is going to be the good shepherd. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, Yahweh will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So there's this glorious hope. You continue on. Chapter 36. Look at how chapter 36, verse 1 starts. And you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel. Well, if you remember Ezekiel 6, those are all the wicked places that had all the abominations and the altars to pagan gods. And now Ezekiel, the Lord says to Ezekiel, hey, prophesy to those places that there's even hope for them, that they will be restored, that God will redeem even them. 
Chapter 36, verse 8, but you, O mountains of Israel, shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they will soon come home. Verse 11, they shall be fruitful and multiply. Oh, that's Genesis language. There's this glorious restoration for Israel. Chapter 36, verse 24, there's this, this, this is probably the clearest passage on the new covenant in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, if you want to write that down, Ezekiel 36, verses 24 to 28, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Remove the heart of stone. Put my spirit within you. Cause you to walk. You shall be my people. I will be your God. There's this glorious, glorious promise. You then have chapter 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. Um, I'm not sure actually entirely where I land. I mean, you'll, hear, you'll hear some good, faithful Bible teachers that disagree with how to interpret the last chapters of Ezekiel, okay? And that's okay. Um, they, they are difficult. It's, you know, if they were super easy, we would all agree. But there is some, some difficult things. I actually think Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones, is actually a future prophecy. I don't think it's just symbolic. Some people say it's just symbolic for... Um, you know, God giving the new covenant to Israel. I actually think it's something that God's going to do in the future for the house of Israel, that I think there's actually going to be a glorious resurrection. But the Valley of Dry Bones is this amazing, amazing picture you see in chapter 37, verse 11. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. I'll put my spirit within you, shall live land. I mean, you just see all these covenant promises coming together. New heart, new land, new people, David, their king, ruling over them. Okay. Oh, there's another really good passage here. Just so much. The Bible is so rich, okay? And so that's why it's tough to go through some of these passages is because it's just rich in theology. It, it's not just, oh, okay. I mean, like, I'll be honest. I read Ezekiel, and I'm not like, okay, this changes me, and it's just, I, I'm going to act differently tomorrow. Like, I'm, like, like in term, we think application is just like, okay, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. When really, one of the big applications that we need to get from the Bible is literally like when God just says, know this. Like, we need to know these things. Like, God has given us his word, and it's an act of worship to read it and understand it, right? If you remember, I talked about this week one, Jeremiah 9. It says, Let not the mighty man boast in his, his uh, strength, you know, the, the wise man in his, his wisdom or the rich man in his riches. But the one who boasts, boasts in this, that he knows me, that we know God. And so as we do this, yes, this is revealing God's prophetic plans for the future, but as we study that, we're meditating on who God is. Like he's faithful to his promises, he is sovereign overall. I just had to give that because it's important. We, we can lose sight of what we're doing, okay? So 38 and 39, okay? Just write this down. Ezekiel 38, 39, Gog and Magog. Where else in the Bible do you hear Gog and Magog? Revelation, okay? This is just me. When you're just, actually, I wouldn't say this is just me. I think Mark would say the same thing. When you're just reading through Ezekiel, don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. It's already complicated. Just, just read the book, okay, and, and just go through sequence of events, because I think John 
in Revelation uh, 19, 20, 19 and 20 is just picking up and drawing on Ezekiel, and he's smoothing things out. That's an amazing New Covenant passage, okay? David, king over them, okay? We got to move on. Chapter 38. Chapter 38. I think I have this on the screen. Yeah, okay. Chapter 38, verse 8. So earlier in, in, in uh, chapter 38, God is saying, he's talking to Gog and Magog, and he's saying they're going to be enemies of Israel, and they're going to attack them, okay, for simplicity's sake. And here's what's going to happen. Verse 8, after many days, so like how many days? I don't know, but a lot, okay? There's going to be a lot of days, maybe like a thousand years, okay? In the latter years, so he, he, he's, Ezekiel's even cluing in. This is not something to come like real soon. Like this is going to come way in the future, in the latter years, you will be mustered. He's talking about Gog and Magog. You will go against the land that is restored from war. Okay? And so, just to clue you in, what I would just say is you have, in Revelation makes this clear, you have the Battle of Armageddon, then you have the millennial thousand-year reign of Christ, and then you have the Battle of Gog and Magog, because I think that's exactly what Ezekiel is saying here. Okay? And John, that's what John says, and I think He's just drawing from Ezekiel. The land that is restored from war. So there was a war, Armageddon, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from all the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. So, after, so there's going to be a war. After a lot of days, after the people have dwelt securely, like for a thousand years, after that, verse 9, then you will advance, Gog and Magog, coming on like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your hordes and many peoples with you, okay? And so, I just, I, when I just read this, I'm just going through, oh, okay, that's exactly what John does. I'm not going to make it more complicated with, oh, recapitulation, and he's talking about this, and actually this is drawn from here. I think the most simple way to read the text is just read it at face value, okay? There was a war, Israel is dwelling securely for many days, and then there's another battle with Gog and Magog. And John does the exact same thing in Revelation 19 and 20. There's the Battle of Armageddon, there's the Millennial Reign of Christ, and then there's the Battle of Gog and Magog. I think we don't need to make it more complicated than it needs to be. That's my eschatological plug for the day. That's what's going on in Ezekiel 38, 39. We're out of time, but I need to talk about Ezekiel 40 to 48. Ezekiel 40 to 48. Oh, and also, Ezekiel 38 mentions fire falls from heaven and consumes Gog and Magog, which, guess what, Revelation does the exact same thing. Like, the Battle of Gog and Magog is not actually really much of a battle. Like, it's like, they gather up against Israel, and then God's just like, fire, you're all dead, right? Like, like, and that's what Ezekiel says, so that just makes the most sense to me. Okay, Ezekiel 40 to 48, I have to talk about this. You see, um, 40 to 48 is, people don't know what to do with this, okay? Because it's this glorious picture of a temple. There's a new temple. Ezekiel 40, 48, it's talking about there's going to be a new temple. And people will say, well, it doesn't have this and it doesn't have this. How can it really be a temple? We don't really know. Again, I'm not going to make it more complicated than it needs to be. I think if Ezekiel wasn't talking about a literal temple, then why did he spend eight chapters on it? Like going into detail, okay? Like if he's just like, hey, the temple's going to be great. It's going to be glorious. Like, okay, maybe there's a little room there for like, he's seen maybe not like a literal temple is what we should expect. The dude spends eight whole chapters talking about this temple. I think there's going to be a temple. That's just my gut feeling, okay? Because he's talking about it so much, okay? And again, it's that same introductory formula 
The vision I saw was just like the vision that I had seen when he came to destroy the city, just like the vision I had seen by the Shebar Canal, and I fell on my face. The glory of the Lord entered the temple. So in chapters 8 through 11, the glory of the Lord leaves the temple. Where is the glory back now? It's back in the temple. There will come a day when God dwells back in the temple, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And so there's this glorious picture of not only will the Lord... um, dwell within his people, he's going to fill, I would argue, he's going to fill the world with his glory from the inside out, and he's actually going to dwell in his temple. You see that especially throughout Ezekiel 40, 48. There's just passages that doesn't make sense unless you're like, okay, it's saying God is literally dwelling in the temple. He's actually there, okay? So that's what I think he's talking about. This last slide here, and then we're dismissed. Daniel Block, he has written a two-volume thick, thick, thick commentary on Ezekiel, okay? He is not a dispensationalist. He, is, he would differ from us on some things, but he's, he's an evangelical. He loves the Lord Jesus, and pretty much everyone recognizes, like, this dude's commentary, he's got it handled. I think it's like 1,500 pages, so I'm like, oh, man, that's a lot of reading, okay? He's written a lot about this book, okay? And here's what he says. While the New Testament often recognizes fresh significances in its reading of Old Testament texts, like the church's heir to the spiritual promises of God to Israel, Ezekiel's own understanding of his oracles must be determinative in our interpretation. Okay? What would Ezekiel and his readers have understood? If one could ask Ezekiel whether he expected a literal regathering of people, their return to the land of Israel, their spiritual rejuvenation, and the restoration of a Davidic ruler on the throne, one would expect an unequivocally affirmative answer. And so what he's saying there is if we just read Ezekiel on its own terms, the original audience and Ezekiel would have expected, yes, there's going to be a literal regathering of people in the land. The Spirit is going to dwell amongst them. There's going to be a Davidic ruler on the throne. There's going to be a temple, okay? So that is Ezekiel. Do you guys maybe have a framework with where you can go back and read the book? That's discouraging. No. Uh, Hopefully, hopefully, I mean, Lord willing, that's what we're trying to do here in this class is so you can go through Ezekiel reveals, like I said, God dwelling amongst his people. There's these glorious promises. You have the notes there, theological themes and significance. The new covenant is mentioned there. There's a new David who's going to be the one over his people, exile and restoration throughout. But the Holy Spirit, like I said, is dominant in Ezekiel, unlike any other book. I know that's a lot of information, um, Lord willing, in the upcoming weeks. We're going to deal with some of the minor prophets. And you're like, oh my goodness, there's 12 of those in two weeks. Uh, we're not going to talk about all of them. Uh, we, we just simply can't, but we're going to move through, hopefully hit some high points. Uh, but hopefully this class is encouragement to you guys. I know I have a lot of fun. Um, hopefully that's evident. And hopefully it excites you guys. Like, man, I can read this. I can understand it. I know what's going on. You, you need some of those, you know, something to hang your hat on. And so there's some of those key structures throughout the visions and God's Holy Spirit. All right, you're dismissed.